Hi, welcome to Spilling the Tea. I'm Devana, founder of Witches Tea Flint. And I won't say that I'm camera shy because it's not really shy or a phobia. I just really, really hate being in front of the camera. What I do like, though, is talking to people and showing pictures about what I'm talking about. After three decades in radio, this just seems to be the easiest way for me to be able to talk to people where you're not looking at me. But I can show you what I'm thinking about. It's kind of like the best of both worlds. What we're going to do here is, of course, talk about spilling the tea. Now, normally when you hear spilling the tea, you're thinking about, ooh, she going to talk about some gossip. Yeah, kind of. There's definitely going to be some scandalous gossip as we talk about tea. You wouldn't think that tea would be rooted in gossip, but believe me, there is some tea scandals out there. Maybe that's where it came from. Because like the whole idea of how tea was founded, not really scandalous, but how it got all over the world, definitely scandalous. So we're going to go into all of that. Did you know that there are over 380 different kinds of tea in the world? Even more if you break down the individual strains, the variations, the qualities of the tea. I mean, there's a lot out there. If you're like I once was, you probably thought, oh, there's just, you know, black tea. Well, there's black tea, there's white tea, there's green tea, there's red tea, there's the herbal teas, there's purple tea. Like seriously, there really is purple tea. There's yellow tea. There's a lot of tea out there and there's a lot of ways to have tea. Then of course you add yerba in there, which what in the world is a yerba? Well, we'll get into that in like future videos because yerba is actually really, really cool. If you can't tell already, this is gonna send you down one heck of a rabbit hole, but it's gonna be fun. At least it is for me because I've really enjoyed learning about everything that I've been learning about. I started this journey a few years ago, ended up into this tea master's class. And with this master's class, this is how I've been able to now give the knowledge to you. It's made me pretty well versed in tea, but of course there's always still more to learn, especially when it comes to how to blend tea properly, how to brew the best cup of tea, which is a really, really interesting one. Y'all, if you're doing the whole microwave thing, please just stop. Stop microwaving it. It's getting the tea too hot and it's also kind of ruining the flavor of some of the tea leaves. We'll get into that later. There's a whole huge world out there that is beyond Lipton and the supermarket varieties that you may be accustomed to. There's people who will spend more on a cup of tea than most people would spend on top shelf alcohol in a bar. Not kidding at all. And of course, you're getting a lot less in a cup of tea. So, you know, it's pretty big business. There's a reason why some of these tea leaves are more expensive and these cups are more expensive than others. And we'll get into that later. I'm not really sure what to call this because, yeah, I mean, I'm putting this up for a podcast. I've got these like pictures and videos that I'm putting on for the video. So that way I can put this up on Facebook and y'all can see what I'm talking about. So it's a podcast, it's a video, it's a whole long rabbit hole that we're gonna go down involving everything about tea. So we're gonna be sharing a whole lot of knowledge. And I just wanna thank my tea master, Shana Zhang, who has taught me so much in the little bit of time that we've been working together. Through this, of course, I've been exposed to yellow tea and purple tea, and there's a difference between dark tea and black tea. And then the tea that we normally drink that we call black tea is actually red tea. Like I said, it's crazy. 
Of course, many of the teas are named after colors, and they're named for a lot of other reasons too, like the regions that they're found in. We're gonna dive into a whole different way of even thinking about what you're drinking, from where it grows, to how in the hell did it get to India, and then all the way to Africa, and then of course to the US and some of these other places that it got to. I mean, there's like total scandal there, and it's gonna be really cool to talk about. I'm already nerding out on this, if you can't already tell. We'll go into some of the energetic, <clears throat> magical properties of tea, the medicinal properties, which all blends of tea have and all varieties and strains, and talk about some historical facts, some socioeconomic and political facts that come into tea. It's a big journey. The only thing is, is you don't really have to go anywhere other than, you know, press play or press pause when you're like, good God, will this girl ever shut up? You'll probably end up saying that a few times. We'll even go into the tribes in China that take care of the tea. My hope is that not only can we have a better understanding of what goes into tea, but maybe also understand the culture and get a better picture of what's going on in the world in general and how tea has shaped some of the drama in the world, because really it has. So, said, you know, we talk about black teas, green teas, red teas, yellow teas, white teas, purple teas, herbal teas, exotic teas, and some of these stupidly expensive teas and why are they so expensive. And like I said, we'll even talk about Yerba. This is Yerba up here on your screen. Doesn't look like much, not even really made of the same tea leaves, but people go nuts over it. And I have this really cool map. So I really like maps. We'll be showing a lot of maps. And it kind of just gives you an idea of where we are in the world. Because I could say, you know, Sichuan or Yunnan province, and you're going to look at me like, I have no clue where that is, girl. Well, you'll be able to find out where that is. I didn't realize there were that many places in China. I mean, it's a big place, but... Now we know. Tea was first discovered back in 2700 BC with the Emperor Shen Nung. And he had a pot of boiling water and all of a sudden some leaves blew into the pot. And he was like, oh, this smells really good. I betcha it might taste good. I mean, that was pretty brave at this point, because if you think about it, oh my God, he could have drank something poisonous and it would have killed him. And then, you know, we wouldn't have tea right now. But thankfully it didn't poison him. He didn't die. He enjoyed it. And now we have tea. The aroma, of course, fascinated not only him, but fascinated all of his people around him. And all of a sudden everyone started drinking tea. But it was kind of like this elitist thing where only like royal families were gonna be all involved in it. The production of tea started about 700 years later in the Sichuan province. See, circling back. So prior to it being produced, which means it's the process of like picking, sunning, rolling it, then baking it, then letting it dry out to be later drank. That's the most simple way to explain the process of tea. It was basically just given in really limited quantities to royal families. Yeah, they had to be all bougie about it. So fast forward to about 1800 years later to 200 BC, the Han Dynasty, which is actually considered the golden age of China, they decided to expand on tea. So the Han Dynasty emperor said that tea was so special and so important that they created this Chinese character, that whenever you talked about tea, that you needed to use this character. And what it symbolized was the connection between man and nature together and the whole symbolic nature of it and that tea is medicine and tea is healing and tea is for all the people. It, see, we had tea going on here for almost 2,000 years before you had people saying, this should be available to all the people. And that's exactly what they did. This whole tea moving all around the world happened right about 
this time frame and they started moving tea up and down the tea horse road. So back in those days though, all the tea was just green tea and that's it. It wasn't until the 17th century, which would be the 1600s for us because we subtract the one. I always have to do the math like that because I can never remember what year we're in when it talks about what century. I'm like, okay, we're in like the 2020s now. So that's about all I know. So they started this whole process back then though of oxidizing the teas, which meant a whole nother process of it like fermenting and drying out, getting slightly moldy and being able to drink it at that point. So that's where we ended up getting black tea. So this is a way of preserving the leaves because tea trade has started and they needed a way to be able to make the tea able to hold up while it went to places, you know, like Europe and when it went up to Russia and went to like Japan and some of these other places because it had to make some pretty long journeys. The tea trees that were in the U.S. and India and Africa and all over the world became just kind of commonplace and tea ceremonies became a way of life, not just honoring the tea plants themselves, but each other. You can learn about tea ceremonies from Tibet, Japan, China, of course, UK has their own tea norms. And the British, again, tried to turn the tea into like this elitist thing, but really it isn't all that bougie. I mean, when you get into some of the tea out there, I mean, you have like Bai Mudan, you have Bilo Chun, Silver Needle, and Golden Monkey, and some of these others. I mean, yeah, these teas are pretty expensive, but it's because of when they're harvested and how they're harvested and where you're picking the tea leaves from and when you're letting some of the other stuff sit for a while. The longer you leave it there, the more it's going to be kind of bitter. We'll get into all that later too, because believe me, that's a whole different like, wow, like when you pick the tea, but I guess it's the same thing as with like tomatoes. When you think about it, like some people pick the tomatoes when they're green and you make fried green tomatoes and fried green tomatoes are amazing. And then some people wait till they're like really, really, really ripe to where you, you barely can grab them and then without them going <laughs> squishing all over the place. I guess it's kind of the same thing. Tea is definitely a way to wellness and wholeness though, because there's at least five medicinal properties to each variation of tea that you've got. They're all gonna be able to help you with the aging process. So they have all these antioxidants and anti-aging benefits. They're all gonna be able to help you with weight loss. They're all gonna be able to help you with fighting off free radicals and you know cancer causing stuff that ends up getting into our pores because of environmental issues. Tea can help you ward off all of those things. And they even have people in China and Japan that are over a hundred years old. And the one thing they say that they've done their entire life is they've drank tea. So, We've got a lot to offer when it comes to these simple little leaves. So tea was so special at one point that it was even given as gifts to like say the czar of Russia, Alexei in 1618. It's one of the ways that we've got Russian caravan tea, which is an interesting blend considering making it involves the camel or at least part of a camel. It's odd, but the flavor is amazing. Let's talk about how tea grows. Tea trees, and yes, they are trees. The ancient tea trees are almost as tall as some of the California redwoods. They are enormous and the leaves that come off of them are equally as amazing. These grandmother and grandfather trees have been in China and some of them have even grown through rocks. Now it's the taking of the 
seeds and also some of the trees have been uprooted which is what made them short and bushy which is what we're kind of used to seeing i mean what we're used to seeing is people in a field they're maybe waist high picking the buds like that you'll find a lot of these elder trees in the yunnan province of china which is in the southwest tip there's over 260 different types of tea trees that grow there including the wild tea tree yunnan is near vietnam burma and laos and the long kong river so we're getting a little bit warmer of an air, a little bit of humidity, which helps these trees to thrive. On the map, you'll see that water plays a huge factor also in where tea grows. It grows best when it's near coastal regions, near large bodies of water, but that doesn't mean that the air isn't traveling inward. I mean, Florida, for instance, when you think about Florida, you've got water all the way around Florida and you can be in the middle of Florida, but that doesn't mean that you're not still getting some of that water effects. It's kind of the same thing in China. So back to the Long Kong River, it's one of the biggest and longest rivers in Southwest China. And it's actually the sixth longest river in the world. So it's a really important body of water. The power of this river, the memory of this river, the energy of this river. I mean, I'm a water science, so the knowledge of this river and what it's carried and where it's carried is just incredible. I would love to be able just to sit by the river and just listen to the sounds as it goes by. Now in Asia, this river is the number one river in all of Asia. And that actually has some of its own, you know, political things, because every now and then you'll start seeing like these dams going up and these dams then being blown which means there's a lot of areas of China that are in a drought and some that are being completely and totally flooded. And there's, you know, politics that affect that. I mean, look at New Orleans. So this river, if you look where it crosses, it crosses into Tibet, winds through Yunnan, Laos, Burma, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, and then it ends in the South China Sea. The Yunnan province has actually seven different climate types, kind of like what we got here in Michigan. I mean, I may not have seven, but it sure feels like it some days, you know? I mean, I refer to Michigan because you can have like a 19 degree difference from the northern area of Yunnan to the southern. The area is kind of huge. Just for instance, if we were to look to see what the temperature today is in Sault Ste. Marie, and then look at the temperature at the border of Michigan and Ohio, we can catch kind of a small glimpse of what's going on and the difference between the northern tip of Yunnan and the southern tip of Yunnan. I mean, the temperature is definitely that different. It's important because geography does play a huge role in how tea grows. It affects the tallness of the trees and the bushiness and the tea leaf size and the production of the teas and the color of the tea leaves. I mean, these leaves can range from, you know, about the size of your pinky, maybe half a pinky and some of the really small ones, all the way up to from the tip of your middle finger to the base of the palm of your hand. I mean, those are some really big leaves and that's all because of temperature and soil, but also some of these ancient trees do produce some pretty incredible sized leaves. All tea starts the exact same way. It is all the exact same seed, which is usually about dime to nickel size. The variety and the variation of tea is only different because of where it's grown. So tea that is grown in India, that Assam Banaspati, they're going to have a different variation, but it's still going to be the Camellia sinensis plant, which is what's really interesting because I come from a family of rose and iris growers and just different plant growers. You think about like fruit trees, if you want to make a different kind of a fruit tree, you're going to make a graft and that graft is going to, you know, heal and grow back together. And all of a sudden you have a whole different type or color or variation of a flower. Well, tea's not like that. It's 
all dependent on where it grows. So a different elevation, a soil, a climate, when the tea is picked, how it's picked, and the processing step is gonna have a completely different tea taste. The map we're showing here, all the places in green is where tea is being successfully grown. There's even a tea, like I said earlier, it grows in rocks and it's actually one of the most expensive teas in the world because we're heading into areas that goats can barely go. And these wild tea trees are just growing and producing some of the most beautiful teas in the world. We'd mentioned earlier that tea in China is all protected and cared for by tribes. There are 55 different ethnic minorities in China and most of them all take care of tea trees and some other plants. So you, you might see some of them taking care of like the silk or they might take care of other things in there. So when you see items that talk about fair trade or looking for things, make sure you are looking for fair trade because at that point you can safely assume that the tribes that are taking care of these teas and these items are respectfully compensated, that people aren't just going in, stealing and robbing these people blind, not giving them anything for what they've got. Fair trade is kind of an important thing. The same kind of goes for the monasteries in India and Tibet and some of these other places. We have, you know, tea that's growing in India. We have tea that's growing in Kenya and all over the world. Right now, some of the number one producers of tea is actually India. Russia has a very large production of tea also, which you would be a little shocked just because you think of, you know, Siberia, but not all Russia is like Siberia. Some of it, you know, is kind of like Sault Ste. Marie. So it doesn't all get terribly cold, but a little bit more than what we would probably enjoy here in middle of Michigan. In China, though, the highest concentration of tea tribal cultures is in Yunnan, and they're all connected by the ancient tea horse road. Tea and horses kind of sounds a little weird, but when the tea horse road is mapped out, it's a network of paths for the caravans to travel through the mountainous regions of China and everywhere that tea grows and to be able to transport it down this way. It's a way of being able to get it to all these various places. And horses do come into play because sometimes tea was traded for the horses or the Tibetan ponies. Salt and silk and things like that were also transported along the way. The tea horse road has over 2,000 thousand years of history and it connects all the major tea trees and stretches from Tibet to Laos and Burma. To put the length in perspective, the Tea Horse Road is about the length of Route 66 short of about 100 miles. I know sometimes we have a hard time here in the U.S. grasping how big other countries are, but China really is a big place. Just a whole nother perspective. The Great Wall of China is about 13,771 miles. It would take about 18 months walking nonstop to walk the entire wall. That's a really, really long time. To travel the way around the perimeter of the continental U.S., which is roughly 11,000 miles, it would take two to three months by car, but with the Great Wall, you can't travel that by car. You can only walk and you can only bring certain things with you because they want to make sure you're not taking pieces of the Great Wall back with you or damaging the wall or fixing things that you really didn't need to be fixing. There's a lot of different things that go into that. We did have a guy here though in the U.S. that did walk the entire perimeter of the U.S. His name's Leroy Bailey. He walked it to raise awareness for homeless vets. It took almost two years and that's trekking about 15 to 20 miles a day, stopping and resting. So just to put that in perspective, he stopped and rested, didn't get farther than 15 to 20 miles a day. Walking the Great Wall nonstop 
would take you 18 months. Imagine if you walked it with the same speed that Leroy Bailey did. I don't know if you would even be done in like three years. I mean, and that's kind of inhuman to even think about walking that far, but people did it. Kind of be interesting to see just how long it would actually take. All right, so this is a lot. I wanted to keep these semi-short so they weren't really overwhelming or boring. So if I've overly nerded out, please forgive me. Tea is just really important to me and to the world in general. I hope you enjoyed this just as much as I did putting this all together. And if you have a chance, make sure to like Witches Tea Flint on Facebook. We have an Instagram. On Twitter, we're at Tea Flint. Our Etsy, just look up Witches Tea Flint. You'll be able to find us there. We also have our website at witchesteaflint.com. Thanks to Leanne for nerding out with me and Kenya and Janet and Denzel for putting up with me while I was learning all of this. Thank you so much to Debbie for listening to all of this. My team master, Shanna Zhang, thank you so much for all of your knowledge. Udemy.com, you're fantastic. Google for all the wonderful pictures. Stay tuned for more and thanks for letting me annoy you with all of this. We'll definitely be talking about a lot more tea and get into some of the tea scandals in the future. This little plant has changed life and changed perspective for so many people. So I'm excited to bring you more knowledge. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you later.